Hello and welcome back to the Sustainable Business Covered podcast. Coming up on today's episode, we look at the climate benefits and impacts of the digital new world we found ourselves in during lockdown. So we had uh, 2.13 million downloads of Zoom on the 23rd of March and we had 2,360 downloads of House Party app on March the 21st in Spain. So, you know, totally different ways of working. Um, and that does come with, with, a, with a higher cost uh, of energy. We hear how the vinyl manufacturing industry has focused on sustainability to thrive in the streaming world. There's one, one set of people that say, um, why don't you stream because it's more sustainable, but then when you look at the figures, it's not necessarily so, because if you have something that's on your shelf that's played time and time again, that is that can actually be more sustainable. And at long last, another member of the ED team returns, just as the prophecy foretold. It is a delight to be back. I've really missed being on the podcast and being in touch with people. So yes, hello and welcome back to the Sustainable Business Covered podcast. I'm Edie's content editor, Matt Mace, and it is with great joy that I get to say that joining me today in our virtual studio is Edie reporter, Sarah George. Welcome back, Sarah. Uh, I'm not sure I went all prophetic in the intro with you there. Uh, I think I've been reading too much fantasy during lockdown. Uh, but, but how are you and how does it feel to be back? Um, it is a delight to be back. I've really missed being on the podcast and being in touch with people. Honestly, just looking through my inbox and getting back in touch with people has been actually quite emotional. <laughs> it's really nice to hear from people um, again and and be back in the loop. Good. Yeah, great stuff. And, and so, yes, to clarify, um, both Sarah and James were placed on furlough at the start of April, I think it was. Mm -hmm. um, and while Sarah is back with her feet under the proverbial desk, uh, we've unfortunately had to say goodbye to uh, James, our former Insight editor. Uh, it's part of a kind of internal reshuffle um, that's affected every part of Favisham House. Uh, and while we wish James the very best for the future, I'm going to ask Sarah to venture back into the past, albeit the very recent past. Um, Sarah, I think it's a good point now that you're back on the podcast and they're going to be having much more of a, uh, a hand in what we're doing uh, on the Sustainable Business Podcast going forward. If, if um, we just catch up with you, basically, in terms of mm -hmm. furlough and, and lockdown, how how was you know lockdown from you from just a personal kind of coping point and also furlough? Um, and how are you able to kind of keep tabs on the sustainability agenda during that period? Um, well, on a personal level, me and my boyfriend haven't killed each other yet, so I'd say that that's that's a very big um, that's a very big positive. Um, and on the work front, essentially, people who are on furlough aren't allowed to do sort of commercial work for any other organisation. So I decided to keep my foot on the sort of sustainability pedal a bit by helping out UKSSD, um, which is an NGO. Um, we've had Emily, um, the co-chair on this podcast and on our site a number of times. So I was helping them um, with some blogs and to put together their sort of green recovery demands to the government. Um, the essential message being we have a recovery framework. It is the SDGs. We're already off track to meeting it. So we need to make the best of a crisis and get back on track as well. And then also just reading <laughs> Reading, reading, reading. Um, so I've I've got through a couple of Naomi Klein's books. I've got a copy of John Elkington's Green Swans, um, and then also the the Future We Choose mm. um, that book as well. So I've been busy um, busy digesting all of that. Normally after eight or so hours of writing news and features and recording podcasts, I literally do not have enough space in my brain for more climate related information. So it's been nice to get through some of that. Yeah, I think I've got a copy of the future we choose lying around here somewhere. I can't seem to find it at the moment. Um, yeah, I think people are, are just digesting the, the topic in, in a different way during lockdown than perhaps they would have before. And I know one thing that we've all been doing an awful lot of during lockdown uh, is sitting in front of screens uh, myself and Sarah in front of screens right now we're recording this over uh, Microsoft Teams. Yeah. I've um, made myself sound really intellectual but I've also been sort of all of Dead to Me and Queer Eye 
on Netflix as well. <laughs> well. Yeah, that's that's exactly it. You know, whether it's streaming film and TV via Netflix or, or, or Amazon, taking part in kind of seemingly never-ending cycle of Zoom meetings, or even just kind of flicking through podcasts and throwback playlists uh, on your phone. I think lockdown has made us embrace digitalization with a much tighter grip than we probably already had on it beforehand. And I wanted to focus this episode on that. Um, and for the first part of this episode, I wanted to kind of sit down with two people with a lot of knowledge in this area, um, but also sit on the board of a company that is focusing on the energy intensity of, of kind of digitalization and, and streaming. And, and it's a kind of hidden impact, basically. So there are a number of publications uh, such as the New York Post, uh, Yahoo, uh, FIS.org. They've kind of circulated this claim that the emissions generated by watching 30 minutes of Netflix is around 1.6 kilograms of carbon, of CO2 even, uh, which is the same as driving a car for four miles. Um, more kind of, I suppose, more grand uh, scheme of things, new scientists has claimed that the transmission and viewing of online videos generates 300 million tonnes of carbon dioxide a year, which is around 1% of global emissions. They, <laughs> they also added that um, that means that watching pornographic videos generates as much CO2 per year uh, as is emitted by countries like Belgium, Bangladesh and Nigeria. Make of that uh, what, what you will. <laughs> It's, it's worth pointing out, though, that this analysis um, in this area, um, I'm talking about streaming here, not, not pornography, the analysis appears to be exaggerated somewhat. Uh, and I do implore people who are listening to this episode to, to also read uh, the Carbon Brief Fact Check. Uh, what is the carbon footprint of streaming video on Netflix? It goes into a much deeper dive than, than we'll be able to in a podcast form. Um, so it's clearly a grey area. Um, in terms of what is the energy intensity of of this kind of digital world we find ourselves in um what does that mean for climate impacts because there's a trade-off you know we've seen we've seen we've seen what happens when we go into lockdown in terms of the environment it, it gets healthier um less miles are traveled by car less pollution and and i think digitalization is going to have a huge impact in that and for business um as well but but i think there's a debate to be had there um there's a grey area I was open to explore, um, and I wanted to see whether the sustainability benefits of digitalization, as I mentioned, like reduced travel and less pollution, are offset by the energy demand. To join me for this, uh, we have Professor Yanis Andropoulos, uh, Professor in Data and Signal Processing uh, at UCL uh, and co-founder and CTO of iSize Technologies, and also uh, Paul Massara, the former CEO of Empower, uh, who's recently been appointed to iSize's executive board. Uh, thank you both for joining me today. How are you? Uh, good, thanks. Good, good to hear. And um, I think it's probably a good good point to, to touch base with just how you both um, have been working during lockdown. Uh, I'm guessing with the fact that um, the, the company you work for, it's been a rather seamless transition to, to a more virtual way of working. Is that correct? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I think like many other people uh, doing a lot more Zoom calls um, and uh, spending uh, far too much time streaming stuff that I've never streamed and both in terms of webinars, which I think is actually pretty useful. Um, but then I, I think I've hit Netflix pretty hard as well. So uh, yeah, no, it's been uh, an interesting way, I think, as we all seek to work in different ways than we have before. And Janis? Uh, same here. From uh, from the company's point of view, obviously many many startups of this kind already do remote collaboration to a very large extent, as you probably can imagine. Uh, the university side is, as you probably read in the news, quite a challenge. How education will will adjust? Uh, what part, if any, will be done in person versus versus remote, uh, and so on. So it's it's quite a challenging time for for higher education. Yeah, I can I can imagine, and a lot of this is obviously all subject to to, to debate about where we we end up. But um, I, I think what's been quite impressive amongst the kind of climate and sustainability conversation is is the willingness of people to kind of you know kind of anticipate and, and predict where we're heading. And um, I think there's a lot of optimism in this space as well, which is brilliant. And that's what we really want to focus on 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 this episode. I mean, the the pandemic itself has obviously been absolutely um, terrible in terms of the cost to kind of um, human health and, and life. Mm. Um, but we, we have seen lockdown kind of generate some interesting side of, uh, effects in terms of um, 
canals being much cleaner um you know you can see kind of monuments across cities that you didn't used to see before because of air pollution kind of cleaning up um the the you know the estimated emissions reductions for 2020 is of course to be almost eight percent that decline which um which is kind of in line for what is kind of needed annually to get to kind of net zero um and, and ipcc and 1.5c by by kind of mid-century so we've seen a way to the destination obviously the actual the actual way to get there is not what we want in terms of um a diseased and a kind of forced lockdown um but on the other side as we discussed there's there's, there's been this massive uptake in 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 virtual meetings in um streaming in and, and, and you know entertainment as, as paul mentioned with netflix as well that's going to have a hidden uh, cost to the climate it, 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 and that's basically where I want to kind of get this discussion to is is how much should the public and, and organizations be aware of this hidden cost and, and or is it an opportunity so I want to kind of open that that um, that question up to, to both of you in terms of one what what is the what is the impact here and, and two what what should be done so I mean Yanis do you want to maybe jump in on that first uh, sure. I mean, obviously, as you said, the, the net uh, aspect is positive because whatever the video streaming impact may be, we're obviously much greener doing remote uh, collaboration than, than traveling and so on. Right. Uh, I guess the biggest worry is a lot of people now are indoors, especially if you have a family with young children and so on. There's the TV on, playing YouTube most of the time, playing anything to entertain people at home, probably more than a single device, playing constantly, uh, streaming constantly. Multiple calls happening at the same time, like, you know, the equivalent of this call and so on. So, this is a wake-up call for many of these companies to begin actually benchmarking for the first time in a more serious or scientific way what is the data center cost, what is the caching and storage and, and buffering cost for streams, even all the way to the home, right? And there's been some statistics that uh, have been reported. I think uh, Netflix uh, led the way by first announcing some estimates of its annual energy consumption, which is a very positive step. In, in, in opening this discussion in a transparent manner. I think many other companies will follow. There's even discussions of uh, not just in the video space, but in general in companies that do heavy data center usage in some form of declaration. If not that happening, it may even lead to taxation, right? In, in terms of governments suddenly waking up and saying, you know, should we should we impose some some kind of penalty for companies that overdo usage of data centers, right? Um, I don't know if Paul wants to add any comments. Yeah, I mean, so I think we've seen huge amounts of change very rapidly. You know, I, I, just a few statistics, I think, which are interesting. So we had uh, 2.13 million downloads of Zoom on the 23rd of March, and we had 2,360 downloads of house party app on March the 21st in Spain. So, you know, totally different ways of working. Um, and that does come with, with, a, with a higher cost uh, of energy and a higher bandwidth stream. And I think for the first time, we used to have the old story of people fighting over the remote control. I think now we've got to fight over whose bandwidth at, the, at what time. You know, I want to Zoom, I want to stream my games. And so that becomes a real issue. I think many of us are starting to think, how do we build back better? What does the future look like? Um, and I think the benefits of that are probably less flying because we can have remote you know, conversations like this, uh, less traveling on to work because I think again, Zoom and other things have been more helpful. But at the same time, we know we've got to reduce our footprint. And, and so data centers streaming uh, is increasing and those companies, are getting more and more concerned about how they get to their carbon uh, neutral impact and net zero. And so, you know, this, there's got to be new ways, both technology, I think. Um, and so things like iSize and the fact that it can reduce your bit rate is, is one of those examples. But also there's going to be people who are thinking about, well, how can I buy green energy and how can I buy PPAs and other things to get their, their, their carbon footprint lower? Um, you know, this this is going to lead to a step change in, in how we look at our, our lives. Um, and I don't think that's going to go back to how it used to be. 
I mean, we've already seen during lockdown as well that a lot of the, the, the DNOs in the UK are kind of reaching out and saying, look, we, we, you know, we don't need the, 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 the demand that all this kind of renewable generation is going in or can, can assets be switched off. So it sounds like it's beneficial in regardless of what happens in the future that, that power to these streaming services and how, how the energy source has to be kind of green, but it also has to be flexible. Um, is that a kind of future we're going to be having to embrace in, in this kind of new normal? Uh, so I think yes, because I think you're going to be looking at data centers who are, are going to be connected to wind farms or solar farms um, and are then going to have battery as part of that so that they can help manage the, the, uh, the sort of the peaks and flows. I mean, COVID, COVID has been somewhat unusual because you've had this low demand because industry is not working, higher demand at home, and then you've had this crazy sunny period where you've had so much solar that essentially you've had excess renewables. So, so it has been a bit strange. Um, and, and I don't think anyone is saying this is the way to get to net zero by COVID. But I do think that we should be looking to the future and saying the future life we see with autonomous vehicles, uh, distributed energy systems, AI, is going to mean greater use of bandwidth. And therefore, we have to look at bandwidth solutions as part of our carbon footprint. I think, Yanis, do you want to add to that? Or? Uh, absolutely. And I think in any such step change, technology has always stepped up. And, and that's what we're hoping to happen here, right? So uh, I'll give you some examples. The new generations of encoders, for example, for video, right? Traditionally, they've been designed on the, next, on the extremely heavy side. They would consume you know, 10 times or even 100 times more processing cycles than previous generations. Uh, people used to say, oh, that's okay. We, we know we'll pay for additional capacity in the data center. So compute cycles is the currency we pay for saving bits, right? But now with all this torrent of content, this even this philosophy is beginning to hit a wall and many companies are beginning now to design systems, whether with uh, processing technologies like work with, with do at iSize or others, that are actually very conscious of the compute cost as well in the data center, uh, which didn't used to be the case before. Uh, there are other examples I can point to where this is becoming a challenge even to connect to networks. Let me give you a quick example. Um, most people today, whether they connect to their school or to work, they would open a VPN, a, a, a virtual private uh, connect, a network connection, right? So what that means is when you open a VPN today in your home, a Cisco or anything else, it will actually reserve a chunk of the bandwidth for the upstream, whether you actually use it or not, because it, it doesn't actually buffer as much as, as other technologies. And that means, imagine in your neighborhood where most people would have coaxial connections and so on, many people switching to VPNs for security, for work, and so on. Even that itself will, you know, will choke the exchange point, and you will even there's even reports emerging of people having trouble connecting during business hours when many of their neighbors uh, or even in their home are opening VPNs. And that's another example of security versus transport of data for video calls versus obviously the the energy associated as well. And we've seen in the kind of wider climate movement that the public are so much more engaged on, on, on the kind of climate front. It kind of maybe started with single-use plastics and people could see the impact that they were having on the planet. Um, and then the school strikes movement really kind of um, delivered this dial shift amongst policy and businesses alike. I'm not saying we're anywhere near the, the problems we were with single-use plastics and related to kind of energy use. But if that ever got to the point where where you know the households the public would have to become aware of, of the energy they're using while they are streaming all these entertainment services or taking part in these zoom calls energy is, is kind of hidden you can't you can't see it so how how do you go around educating um whether that's just kind of your staff or whether consumers or just the everyday public on this matter what, what steps should be should be done there i think that's a great point actually i've got to say you know uh, you know, people, I mean, the classic example that people use is mining bitcoins. You know, the fact is that the miners are using the sort of the general consumption of Ireland every day to, to mine bitcoins. So, so I think there's two things in there. One is the visualization, because as you say, people don't connect it. So it's really important that they start to understand it. But ultimately, you're probably into government policy on carbon pricing or something like that, where the cost has to really 
hit home. And then companies then have to take uh, measures to avoid that carbon cost. And that really is the way to embed it in society, I think. But I do think there is also ways of communicating, um, you know, what are the times of, of maximum bandwidth use and what are the costs of that? It's a bit like off-peak, on-peak. I think all of that is going to become much more important as we look to the future uh, and we see these trends increasing. Yeah. I agree. I think definitely governments have to play a role in creating clever incentives for companies to innovate. Uh, and that's already beginning to happen in, in, in a few ways, right? Um, and then I guess awareness from people, as, as, as Paul said, in the visualization of, of the carbon footprint, the equivalent of, let's say, the, the video on demand consumption today from mainstream providers can be equivalent to 40,000 American homes for the entire year, or some measure that people can actually understand that this is a real impact. It's not just some hypothetical number. And I'm, I'm wary that um, I very much focused on the, the, the issues around this kind of more digitalization, but the, 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 the climate benefits, I'm guessing, probably stack up as, as well. Like this, this can assist with this net zero transition that, that we're, we're looking to, to get to. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think definitely the, the, the future is, is, is a mixture of work. And actually, if we think of how things are going to go on, right? There's already companies, I think uh, Twitter is one such company that said that employees don't even have to come back to work after after the COVID, right? And they can choose their own lifestyle, their own flexibility to, to the limit, of course, of, of requirements and so on. So we, I believe we're going to see that happening a lot more and go from the, if you like, the binary situation of today that somebody is employed in a physical presence or in a remote presence in a much more hybrid um, environment where there's a lot of layers in between the two. You know, that several days are remote, several days are on-premises. Uh, many companies are already moving to flexible offices, so they have an office of 10 desks for maybe 50 people and so on, because they already see this happening. Yeah, and I think that's right. I think I, I don't see people going back to the way we used to be. And I think, you know, the sort of trend for online shopping, the trend for streaming, you know, and then we get into autonomous vehicles, et cetera, et cetera. So, so what we don't want to do, I think, is replace one bad situation with another one, even if it's less bad. So that's why companies like iSize, which are focused around reducing bandwidth and saving energy and saving carbon are so important. And so we're gonna to have to see more innovation to help drive down those costs. But net, net, this has gotta be good news. Uh, because I think we are we're going to be doing a lot less traveling. Yeah, no, I, I, I think I definitely agree with that. I mean, I mean, we seen just uh, today. So this has been recorded on the on the twenty seventh. Um, the the EU's kind of recovery fund. It's very much focused on climate and and digital um, solutions. So it seems like major economies are really kind of gearing up to a green and and kind of more digitized uh, way forward. Um, I'd, I'm just interested to get you, you two and your wider views on this kind of build back better narrative. What, what would you like to be, uh, what would you like to see being done by, by nations as we kind of push towards this new normal, create it in a way that works? Yeah, so I think build back better is really important. Um, I think it's important to define what that looks like, actually. Um, to me, that's about uh, creating jobs and employment, because I think that's going to be really important. Um, and so what is it we can do that's consistent with, with getting us to where we need to get to for net zero? And that is going to be about energy efficiency. That's going to be in different types of transportation. That's going to be different digital offerings. But it's also, you've got to make sure that in any transition, that we don't leave the most vulnerable behind. So we know that COVID has not impacted everybody the same. The fact is, if you're in a council house with two kids and no space and no garden and no internet, and you can't homeschool, that is a different experience. So it's so really important that as we look at building back better, we also look at a just transition. Um, but I do think it means about uh, more digitalization, uh, 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 speeding up an investment of going green. Um, we need to have a step change, and I think people realize that now. And, and from my side, I would, I would just add that from the technology side, it's important that the R&D is, is, is spent on solutions that can work 
on top of existing technologies. Many companies tend to innovate thinking of this radical shift that we throw everything away and we redesign from scratch. In my experience, that never happens because the, the opportunity cost is there, but it's su such a big investment in existing legacy systems that it's difficult to say, let's just scrap that and, and start from scratch. Which is why, for instance, right, in the, in the video space, and to link to Paul's comment, one cannot say, oh, there's a disruptive technology that saves, for instance, let's say 40% of the bit rate, right? But it requires to change every mobile phone, every client, uh, the people that are lower on the income ladder, they can't access it, and so on. So that's not going to work. Uh, and there's many examples of such promising technologies that didn't, didn't actually manifest into products, right? So that's why, for instance, for me, and that was one of the things I recommended for, for iSize uh, when I started working uh, for, for the company, that, that, you know, the technology has to have some benefit, which is backcode compatible and applicable, boosting existing technologies today first, and then getting them to the stage that they become super efficient and leading to newer standards, adopting them, and then leading to newer products in an incremental manner. So disruptive, but still having some way of deployment today that is practical and useful, not in 10 years in some hypothetical universe that somebody, you know, redesigns everything from scratch. Okay, guys, that's, um, that's good to know. Yeah, so it sounds like there's a lot of opportunity here and, and it's in, in the grand scheme of, of this new normal where there's so many questions marked up in the air, the actual um, way that organizations and nations can focus on, on the efficiency of treatment seems relatively simple to grasp compared to some of the perhaps other bigger question marks. Um, so thank you for both coming on today to kind of offer your views on that. Um, before, before I do get you go, I suppose it'd be good just to know what you, what, guy, what you guys are up to for the rest of the year. And that's obviously kind of can be wildly dependent on what happens with lockdown, but, but what are your kind of key aims for, for the rest of 2020? Because it's amazing to think that we're halfway through already. Yeah, so I mean, I, I think we're really focused now on working with some very, very large household names that you would all associate with, with, uh, with streaming um, and uh, working with them to show how this technology can actually save them, save them money and also save carbon. Um, and so, uh, you know, we're exciting that we've got a new set of investors and a new set of investments. So that's that's good. Uh, and it just proves that even during this difficult time, I think uh, good technology solutions can get funded and supported. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think, as I said, the, the key is trying to see how the technology can bring the best possible benefit from the carbon and from the saving of bitrate while maintaining the quality in a way that is deployable today with the minimum possible friction for operators to put in their data centers and the streaming side. And obviously from the university side, at the same time, using the opportunity to, to, to educate people and provide you know, more ways of contributing to, to exciting projects in, in this space. Okay, uh, Paul, Yanis, thank you um, so much for taking time uh, out of your schedule. I'm, I'm worried that Zoom fatigue is a thing, so I don't want to keep you on calls for, for too long. Um, so it's been a pleasure uh, speaking to you both. Thank you very much. Great, thank you. Really appreciate it. It's a pleasure. Thank you very much. So thank you very much to Yanis, uh, and it's always good to hear from Paul again uh, as well. Myself and Sarah, we're going to head off for a very short break. So this is an ideal time to pause this episode if you're coming to the end of your uh, unlimited exercise, as the government calls it, for the day. But in part two, uh, we'll be catching up with uh, the last couple of weeks in terms of the biggest news stories. And we'll also be hearing from uh, a vinyl manufacturer that is championing sustainability in the kind of streaming world. So see you in a second. So hello and welcome back to the Sustainable Business Covered podcast. Sarah, you've been overseeing the news desks, uh, well, solo this week. Uh, I've been on annual leave. I was pretty much told by the company to take some and I did. I'm quite glad I did as well. I feel much more refreshed. Uh, but yeah, taking on the news desk solo is quite a, quite a feat considering it's only a second week back. Um, I think, you know, it's a good place to probably take stock on, on what's happening in the broader sustainability world. What are some of the news stories that have stood out to you since you've been back uh, back and working for ED? Um, yeah, so since I've come back, I think definitely the biggest trend I've seen is the number of green recovery plans or demands that are being made um, at the moment, which is to be expected. Um, and then probably less standalone announcements about new strategies or 
um, sort of next phases in projects, which is also to be expected with sort of slowdowns in in supply chains and difficulties around communications um, at this moment in time. But bucking this trend, um, obviously Unilever's big new sustainability strategy has to be one of the biggest things that has happened um, since I've come back. We've been asking for ages about what their exact net zero <laughs> strategy is, um, how they'll be changing their climate targets um, and what they're going to be doing just simply given their sheer size and scale. So the fact that they've got this one billion pound um, 1 billion euro, sorry, new sustainability strategy that centres really heavily on nature restoration um, was a big story. Um, and then also just everyone is watching policy like a hawk, waiting for these green recovery package um, discussions to come to fruition. Um, the meeting to sort of firm up the EU package is happening on the 19th of June. Um, so I've been watching that one a lot as well. No, yeah, um, yeah. I've noticed as well green green recovery is certainly the the new frontier of, of at least advocacy amongst businesses and NGOs and they're backing it up with net zero as as their own as their own commitments too so I'm I'm sure there will be a lot more coming along in that space um in the next next few weeks as well um so thanks for that Sarah and uh, I think we'll get back onto the theme of digitalization and streaming and I mentioned it was kind of born through the idea of lockdown but Obviously, things um, things that happen post lockdown are going to happen in this new normal as well. I'll take Arsenal losing last uh, <laughs> last night as a perfect example of things that happened before lockdown and will continue to happen after lockdown, much to my uh, dismay. Um, one is another one is probably the the streaming of music as well. Of course, digitalization has been happening well before um, what's happened with the lockdown, uh, with many entertainment sectors like film and music already switching to wildly popular streaming based services. Uh, from the years 2000 to around 2016, the amount of plastic used to produce physical music plummeted uh, by around uh, 53,000 tonnes, uh, largely due to that rise uh, in demand of said streaming services. It's another example of how digitalization can assist with the overall sustainability of our lifestyles, but that's also built on a trade-off because during that same period, greenhouse gas emissions associated with downloading and streaming music uh, grew from around 150,000 tonnes of CO2 equivalent to more than 200,000 tonnes. Uh, those findings, they come from the Cost of Music Report, which is a collaborative study between the universities of Glasgow and Oslo. Uh, so there's a lot to be discussed in this area and, and joining me for this discussion today uh, is Karen Emmanuel, the Chief Executive of Key Production, uh, one of the largest UK um, manufacturers and specialists of vinyl records and CDs. So Karen, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Brilliant. And um, yeah, again, thank you for taking time out of, I mean, everyone's got a busy schedule right now with, with the lockdown and, and the state of the economy. So I appreciate you taking the time to come and speak to me. I think it's probably good if we start a bit um, on key production and in particular how the company has really championed uh, sustainability and its environmental footprint uh, over the last, um, I mean, I think you said beforehand, 30 years that the key production has been around for. Yeah, that's right. It's actually our 30th birthday this year. Uh, we were going to have a big party, but obviously not now. Um, yeah, so I, I started um, Key Production back in 1990. Um, I've sort of sustainability has always been part of my sort of core um, when I was a teenager. Um, and whilst we are manufacturing products that are made from PVC, um, we're manufacturing products that are there to be played time and time again um, and to stay on your shelves forever. Or if you don't want them forever to be passed on to somebody else to, to then reuse. Um, as human beings, we really love to sort of have, behold, touch um, products and it kind of brings you closer to the artist um, that you really love. Um, so I've always sort of been aware um, of sort of packaging options um, of um, vinyl and CDs. Um, and right even from the beginning, um, I was sort of saying to people, you know, choose recycled board. Um, at the time, the board that we were using was about 80% recycled. But there were a lot of um, factories that they didn't really care about sustainability. It was just about getting the product out. 
Um, and there was a lot of varnishes that were used that were certainly not sustainable. The inks that were used um, were not sustainable. A, a lot of the card products weren't, um, but, but things have, have changed, thankfully, um, over the last 30 years in a very positive way. And what have some of those more positive um, aspects been? And has it been driven by the, the factories themselves or just as the kind of more general climate debates become aware amongst consumers, has that kind of trickled down? Um, I think it's a bit of both. Um, you know, factories, we deal with a lot of factories in Europe and obviously um, the European regulations have got a lot stricter um, over time. So a lot of the factories have, have taken that on board. Um, and then one, once one factory sort of takes good practice on board, other factories tend to follow. Um, as a company, we try to put as much pressure on factories that aren't such good practice to follow better practice. Um, uh, as far as has, has it been the consumer, I think it has been the consumer in the past few years or past couple of years. So around 2008, um, when people were first talking about carbon offsetting or carbon balancing product, um, we did offer this um, for CDs um, and people just weren't interested in anything that might cost a bit more. Um, it was really, it was a tiny amount more, um, but you know, pe people thought, well, yeah, I'd like to save the world, but I'm not going to pay any more to do so. And so I, I think that attitude has obviously changed over the last few years, um, along with all of the suppliers um, make, you know, also being more aware of the legislation in Europe as well. So it, it's, it's kind of all worked together to make much better changes. So, you know, a lot of the factories... Um, have got all the different ISO certifications. Um, a lot of the energy comes from renewable energy that they use. Um, some of the factories then recycle their energy um, and use it in their offices for lighting. Um, they've become very aware of the types of paper that's used. Everybody uses FSC certified um, paper and card now. Um, some, we're now getting asked, bizarrely, for, for recycled card which the product used to be and it's changed to fsc and recycled card which we can supply and um, that there is a question over whether the carbon footprint is is better than fsc certified and because of the process that recycled card has to go through i don't think anyone's actually got the the definitive answer on that so, so i wouldn't be able to tell you but obviously we, we can offer both and the and the factories are beginning to offer that um, also, the factories are offering, um, if we're talking about vinyl, um, is recycled vinyl. Now, this isn't recycled from old records because the sound of the vinyl would be absolutely terrible if you use that. But it's recycled from the actual manufacturing process. So when you make a record, there's a lot of kind of off cuts, there's a lot of trim, they're trimmed to make them nice and round. Um, so they're reusing those off cuts for both colored vinyl and black vinyl with little, if any, deterioration of sound quality. So it makes for a much more sustainable product. Um, another thing a lot of people are doing, and I know Music Declares Emergency are championing this, is um, to, there's, there's kind of two weights of vinyl that, that are normally used, which is sort of regular weight vinyl and heavyweight vinyl. Um, and they're certainly championing, as are we, you know, don't use heavyweight vinyl, use standard weight vinyl. There's a hell of a lot of difference um, in the carbon emissions um, between using the two. And the quality sounds exactly the same. There's a perceived um, quality on heavyweight vinyl because it just does feel that much better. Um, but the actual sound quality is the same. So, so as a company, you know, we're, we're really trying to tell people about the, you know, how you can best make a sustainable product using the papers, the inks, the varnishes um, that, that, are, that are available at the factories. It sounds like sustainability has been a really disruptive agenda over the last 30 years, but this has helped make your organisation more resilient. And then on the other hand, we've got this rise of streaming platforms and services, which is probably just as disruptive, um, albeit um, 
probably more of a um, perhaps a threat's not the right word I mean we, we spoke before we start recording that you know there's certainly always going to be a place for these type of physical products so certainly amongst you know fans of music um, and humans who just want that that kind of physical interaction with with the vinyl but um, how you know how has, has sustainability become kind of more critical as a, as streaming platforms and as streaming in the music industry has risen because it kind of shows that actually this is still a responsible way to consume music? Um, I hadn't really thought about it that way before, but if you think about it, I suppose they have kind of been running in parallel. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I suppose I like to think that it's, it's really because people have become more aware. Um, and, you know, I've, I've, there, there's certainly pe people that's, there's one, one set of people that say, um, why don't you stream because it's more sustainable? But then when you look at the figures, as you sort of said earlier, it's not necessarily so, because if you have something that's on your shelf that's played time and time again, that is that can actually be more sustainable, less emissions. Um, but, but like you say, I, I, I actually think it's, it's just a movement of people in general in the world. Um, that have become more aware and want to run their lives and do everything that they can more sustainably. And obviously sort of manufacturing is a large part of it. Uh, yeah, and I'm, as I say, I'm, I'm, I'm really glad to see it because it didn't used to be like that. And, and we've always championed that there, there are ways of doing this. And I think it sounds like uh a need or at least a better understanding of, of life cycle analysis um, in terms of the environmental aspects. It sounds like it, it's, it's something that you, you um, as an individual and also a key production as a company have been kind of advocating and, and working towards. Um, we've seen it in other sectors, the built environment covering body carbon of, of their um, materials. Um, the, the, the breweries are actually pretty, pretty good in terms of coming to life cycle and examining the impacts on, on kind of water sources and whatnot. Um, and I think as we, as consumers, as we perhaps become a bit more detached from the, the people that are selling into us because we can access stuff at a click of a button, whether that's through streaming or just through being able to order physical products through online platforms as well, um, that lifecycle analysis and how something was made and, and, and the impact it has is, is certainly going to become more important as the climate debate probably evolves to the, to the next kind of level. People understand climate change, they understand the basic actions. And I think there's perhaps time for this more nuanced debate about every kind of, you know, everything has a carbon impact in some some aspects and, and not just carbon as well, but, you know, um, deforestation with the FSC paper that you mentioned earlier. Yep. Um, and, and certainly I, I, there, there's one particular factory that, that have been analysing the cycle of all the product that they make. Um, so now as well as making the product as sustainable as possible um, on a product by product basis they do an analysis um, of how you can balance the carbon that, that's been made in that manufacturing process whether it whether it's a cd dvd a big big bespoke package and whatever um, they're they're definitely at the forefront of all the factories that we use um, in doing this type of thing um, and we're, as a company, we're trying to persuade all of the other factories and suppliers that we use to follow their lead and do the same thing. Um, and as a company our, ourselves, whilst that process is happening, um, we also want to be able to give our customers a, a portal to enable that, even if at the beginning it's not as precise as it could be, we, we can get some pretty good data um, we think to, to enable that. So we're actually working on that at the moment because like you say, pe people are now more interested in the whole process and want to know more about it. And we've been very careful as a company to, to get all the information and, and then give out the information with the information being not greenwash, if you see what I mean, mm -hmm. because you know, that's, that's no good for anybody. We want to make sure that we've, we've got everything right and we're not telling people something that's not right no no i think i think that's that's true and i think there is a risk as sustainability kind of rockets up the agenda across every sector that there's there's going to be some cases of greenwash and it's up to sectors and and you know the consumers or, or people buying into it to you know be able to do their own research and understand and i think i think life cycle analysis is 
probably the most transparent way you can outline that. It just needs, it's just, it's just a massive undertaking from, from the outset. Um, and in terms of uh, sectors on the whole, then how, how do you see, how do you see your sector evolving over the next kind of five or 10 years? I mean, we're, we're approaching this new normal. No one knows what it's going to look like, but just in terms of sustainability um, and, and perhaps that, you know, perhaps lockdown and, and COVID has an impact on that, but how do you see, um, your sector evolving to become more sustainable? Are there any kind of key challenges and opportunities that you see? Um, if, if we now, rather than just say the music industry, because that's a whole yeah, different yeah. ball game, if you just take, take the sort of the, the, the um, sort of product design and manufacturer mm. side, side that we're in, that, that we do, um, that, you know, there has been a change. I, th I think people more and more will, men will want to make sure that their product is sustainable and you know and we're working with the fact the fact that one factory um has looked at their whole production cycle and is able to offer all the products and uh, the carbon balancing of it means that other factories are going to follow um, and we'll put pressure on them to do that um yeah it will become the norm i would hope that, that people do that you know I, I don't yeah I'd be out of a job if people stopped actually wanting to buy products <laughs> and listen to physical things and touch physical things um, I don't think that's going to happen I think as, as humans we do yeah I mean look look the shops have just opened and there's two mile queues to go and buy things to wear things to touch things to have things yeah that that is human nature so I don't think I've, I hope we're not going away not after 30 years um, but I do think, and, and, yeah, and we've seen it swing, you know, people do want to know about it. They do want to make the effort. And I think it will only be, a, 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 say, for, I don't know, maybe five years, maybe even less, that, that the whole everyone moves over to everything is done in the most sustainable way that it could be. And everybody has looked at the whole cycle and is able to carbon balance, offset, whatever you want to call it, um, their product. And, and I, you know, I don't see it as being very far away because the initial work is happening and the tide is turning. That's good. A nice, a nice dose of optimism, which everyone needs in, in these times, uh, certainly. Karen, it's been, it's been a pleasure speaking to you. Um, I suppose, you, I mean, you mentioned, you know, the shops, shops have reopened this week. So I imagine that's... Um, that's going to be your kind of key focus for the rest of the year is, is making sure you can kind of meet that demand. But is, is there anything else in terms of the sustainability agenda that you're really focusing on for the remainder of 2020? I suppose it's just to keep educating people um, on, on what, what we can do. I mean, we, we've um, did a workshop recently on how to make your, your, your vinyl in particular uh, more sustainable. Want to be doing more of that. Yeah. More educating people, more pressure um, on the factories to make sure that they have the best sustainable practices uh, practices possible. Um, and yeah, and that's it really. I mean, we've got a working team um, within the company um, that are constantly looking at sustainability as a whole. Um, so yeah, just, just, just to keep at it and, and get the news out there. Great. No, it sounds, sounds like um, uh, a busy year, both on the actual manufacturing front and on that education front. Um, Karen, I won't keep you any longer, but it's been, it's been a pleasure to, to meet you um, and, and see the fabled pink hair in, in person. Um, it's been a pleasure speaking to you. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. So thank you again to Karen for the insight into sustainability in that sector. And I think the message is pretty clear there. Uh, even as streaming uh, and just digitalization becomes a common part of everyday life, the, the shops reopening in the past seven days just proves that people still crave that interaction with, with the physical shops and the products um, alike. So the emphasis is also on making those as green as possible if you're, if you're a business as well. Don't think they just switch into a, a, a service or, or kind of digital transaction negates the life cycle impact of, of what it is that you're, you're offering at all. Um, we're just about out of time for today's episode. Uh, I'm having a quick glance down our podcast calendar. Uh, it does seem pretty bare <laughs> at the moment, uh, other than the Smart Grids episode, which we do have coming up as part of the Net Zero spin-off. Uh, we'll be running that shortly. Uh, and the reason it's bare is, is not because I, I've just not been doing my job, um, but it's the fact that we're actually in a bit of a handover process. So Sarah is going to be taking a much more hands-on approach to the podcast going forward. Um, and I know that um, kind of this 
week and next week is is when Terry are going to be really kind of sinking your teeth into outlining a few kind of episode um, ideas, getting a lot more involved in in the creation of it, um, and it'll, then it'll be your yourself and I uh, on the actual episodes, much mm-hmm. like today, much more commonly. So for those who are listening, who are absolutely sick of my voice during lockdown, I. I do not blame you at all. Never fear. Sarah is going to be doing much more of the of the presenting and the talking in that bit. Um, I know I said you're shaping up in any weeks. Is there is there a few kind of um, episodes or themes uh, on the horizon that, that you, you feel you can share now, or would you rather keep it kind of hush hush and go for a grand reveal? Um, I guess I could say that in July we will have an episode about plastics, which I think is really important given that the plastics context has just changed so much. Um, in the context of the virus. I remember sort of late 2019, everyone was talking about going plastic free and refill and reuse really taking off, especially in busy public hubs, which now just feels like an alternate reality. Mm. Um, so it'll be good to get some views on the new normal for for plastics. And then other than that, as usual, we will be continuing our net zero business um, spin-off series. So looking forward to getting under the teeth of some more strategies in the weeks to come. Okay, brilliant. Well, um, I look forward to uh, to seeing those yet yeah, as they come. And yeah, I think July is plastic free July, so us at Edu will, will be probably following that podcast episode with um, with some online contents and features as well. Uh, and once again, uh, it's good to have you back, Sarah. Um, and for those who want to hear more from Sarah and just just kind of more of our content, our kind of backlog of episodes as well, uh, these episodes can be downloaded via iTunes and Spotify and access via uh, the ED website. You just search edpodcast.ed.net. Um, so until next time, like I said, the next one will be a Smart Grids uh, themed net zero business podcast. So you'll be hearing from just me for that episode. Uh, we're back with Sustainable Business Cover podcast around about kind of end, um, no, sorry, that, that will be kind of uh, early July at that point. So you'll hear mm-hmm. from myself and Sarah then next. And until then, uh, it's a goodbye from Sarah. Goodbye. And a goodbye from me. Goodbye. <laughs>